Let's just get right into the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 7. We're so glad you're here today. God bless you for coming. Didn't the worship team do an excellent job? Boy, they just did great. Second team, Second Timothy chapter 1. Dr. Courtney, I hear you back there. I thought you were, were playing tennis this weekend. You lost. But you showed up. You competed well. Well, but you did good though, didn't you do good? Dr. Of all the talents this guy has, he's also an, a wonderful tennis player. The guy is just multi-talented all the way around. I uh, work the concession stand at the tennis court uh, and uh, enjoy every minute of it, all right? Second Timothy chapter 1. Pastor Gary, you doing well? Good. Is your wife working today? She'll be here second service. Second Timothy, his wife, Peggy, who we love so much, uh, she is uh, one of the lead nurses on the infectious disease floor at uh, St. Thomas Hospital. So when you think about Pastor Gary and her, pray for her. She's in the middle of this thing every single day. Pastor Gary's the only husband that greets his wife in a hazmat suit every afternoon. <laughs> so pray, pray for Peggy, would you? Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. The Apostle Paul's talking to Timothy 2,000 years ago. Young Timothy was a pastor. He was under attack. The church was under pressure. He's the leader of this large church. Scholars tell us as many as up to 20,000 people would attend this church. And the Bible says that Paul wrote Timothy and said this to him. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. In our nation, cities are burning There's violence in our streets. There's threats of increased violence if President Trump is re-elected president. An infectious virus that won't go away. There are hurricanes. First time in history that two hurricanes hit the southern coast. Just happened a couple of weeks ago. Two at the same time. First time in history. There's wildfires spreading all over the west. I received a picture this morning from a pastor whose church had burned to the ground in Oregon. Um, And there's unpredictable weather patterns that we're seeing. In 2020 alone, we have entered, as as Jill said, we've entered into uncharted waters, which we've never seen before. So what's next? What's next? I read a, a, a comical post on social media this week. It says, can I go back when my mama used to tell me, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to slap you into next year. Can I go back and get that done? Just go on and get slapped into next year and get over 2020. What is next? It's a frightening time in our land. Jesus described things taking place years ago or that will take place, and it also, all, almost mirrors what we're seeing today. Jesus describes some of these very things. Turn with me to Luke chapter 21. Turn over to Luke chapter 21. 
Let's begin reading with verse number 25. How many brought your Bibles? Good. Luke chapter 21, verse 25. Notice what it says. And there will be signs, Jesus says, there will be signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heaven will be shaken Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now these things, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Now there's a phrase I want to point you to. It's in verse 26. It says, during this season that he describes, men's hearts will begin to fail them from fear. And the expectation of those things which are coming upon the earth. Now the New King James Version is a little cloudy. It says, men's hearts will fail them from fear. The word fail there, the literal word is the word faint. It's, he, he's literally saying here, it carries the idea that man and the world is so out of control... That mankind has no idea how to defend or protect himself. Now, I talk to a lot of guys during the week, and and everybody's getting weapons, and everybody's getting guns, and I understand that, and I I think that's a wonderful thing to protect yourself and your family because we don't know what's going to happen. And who had ever thought we'd have needed that in the United States, but we're living in that time right now. But this scripture talks about something that goes beyond what we're living in. Right now, we have, we men, us cavemen, we come out think we can protect everything with a gun. We can protect our family if we're armed. There's coming a day on planet Earth, it don't make any difference what kind of gun you have. Because you cannot control the, the environment with a gun. And the Bible says there's going to be perplexity of nations distress of nations. The whole nation's going to be in uproars. There's going to be signs in the heavens, signs in the stars. The seas are going to be in turmoil. And you can't fix that with a thirty-eight automatic. So he's literally talking about a time where man cannot defend himself and man cannot control his situation. And the Bible says the fear is going to increase so rapidly and so greatly that men's breath, that word faint means your breath is sucked out of you, that you faint out of fear. Grown men fainting out of fear because they've lost control. Now, most theological scholars believe this is referring to the time between the catching away of the saints or what is referred to as the rapture of the church and the battle of Armageddon. Most scholars believe that time that Jesus was talking about was known also as the tribulation period, the seven years of tribulation. And we're not living in that yet. I know it's bad, but it's it's going to get worse after the church exits planet Earth. We're not living there yet, but we are seeing some forerunners of that right now. Fear is a powerful force and will increase to the point in our land that mankind's hearts will fail and faint. 
And we're beginning to see the forerunner of this end-time fear. You know, many of us have tasted the spirit of fear over the last six months. Many of us have tasted the spirit of fear. Who had ever thought just going to the grocery store, you might get infected with a virus? I just had a a friend last night, a pastor friend's dad died last night from COVID. Who had ever thought that you would go to a ball game and sit beside somebody and within three days you could be infected with a virus that could eventually take you out? We are starting to experience a fear at a level we've never experienced it before. And we're starting to see people act irrationally because of fear. I have a friend that got hit with a can of beans in the grocery store and blacked his eye because he forgot to put his mask on. He forgot to put his mask on and a lady got so infuriated with him that her husband threw a can of beans, got a can of beans off the shelf and threw it and hit him in the eye, blacked his eye. In the grocery store, people are acting irrationally because of this spirit of fear. Now, I I just want to make sure, I would want to pick them up, make sure they were green beans, Italian cut, and and see if I could, because of damaged goods, if I could get a discount on them. That's what I would like to know about that. The spirit of fear torments us. It keeps us from fulfilling our destiny. It keeps us tied to the past instead of moving forward. It keeps us stagnant. It keeps us from loving ourselves and others the way God intended it because we're afraid. It is important that we recognize, we see, we are able to perceive the spirit of fear and resist it because the spirit of fear is not from God. Look what it says in 2 Timothy 1.7 again. For God has not given us the spirit of fear. So this spirit of fear that's enrapturing our world and is, is consuming people in your family and in your neighborhood and in our government and in your schools, this spirit of fear, it's not from God. It didn't come. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. You say, well, I've been afraid before. What's the difference? The spirit of fear is not a momentary fright, such as an unexpected loud noise that scares you, or someone jumping out from around the corner to frighten you. That's not the spirit of fear. The spirit of fear is a demonic force that is paralyzing people with hopelessness and extreme panic. It manifests. It shows up in anger, in paranoia, and unrelenting anxiety. It causes people to act in ways which is totally out of character for them. That's the spirit of fear. Years ago, when fear consumed my mind, I would tell people, I'm scared. I'm scared. And you know what they'd always say? What are you scared of? That's what they'd say. What are you scared of? And people say today that they're afraid. They're scared. Well, what are you scared of? You're scared of something you can't see? You're scared of something you can't feel? You're scared of some invisible germ? Yes, that's what we're scared of. And then other people used to say to me, when I'd say I'm scared, we'll say, well, stop being scared. Just stop it. 
Like my grandmother used to say, I'd say, my shoulder's hurting. She says, what's wrong with you? I said, my shoulder's hurting. She says, when does it hurt? I says, it hurts when I do that. She said, well, stop doing that. (laughs) So people used to say to me, I said, I'm scared. Well, stop being scared. Or they would say this, stop thinking that. Get your mind on something else. Stop being that way. And the truth of the matter is, is when the spirit of fear grabs hold of you, you can't stop. You can't just turn it off. Oh, it'd be great if you could turn off those racing thoughts and those fearful moments. It'd be great. But when the spirit of fear comes, it's different than just a frightening moment, somebody with a loud noise or somebody jumping out around the corner and frightening you. We're not talking about this. We're talking about a spiritual entity that's latched itself onto your person and is harassing you and trying to destroy your life and your destiny. That's the spirit of fear. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Understand this. Unhealthy fear, the spirit of fear is a spirit. And it must be dealt with spiritually. The spirit of fear is a spirit. And it must be dealt with spiritually. Just say, well, don't think that. That's futile. You can't. Or just say, well, stop being scared. Willpower alone does not deal appropriately with the spirit of fear. Because the spirit of fear, remember what Paul said to Timothy, for God's not giving you a spirit of fear. He didn't say Paul, he didn't say Timothy, God didn't make you afraid. He said God's not giving you a spirit of fear. So the spirit of fear is a spirit. It's a demonic spirit. And the only way it can be successfully defended against is spiritually. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Notice he's saying our battle that we're dealing with is not one of a fleshly battle. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not guns and knives. Thank God for those, but they are not guns and knives, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. I want to take just a few moments to talk to you about some tactics to win this spirit of fear, over this spirit of fear. This spirit of fear that is causing people to stop their destiny pursuit. This spirit of fear that is causing people to run to doctors and take some type of medication because of the panic, the increasing panic attacks. This spirit of fear that's causing such paranoia that people won't get out of their house. This spirit of fear that's causing you to have a hopeless feeling about your tomorrow and your children's future. This spirit of fear that's causing people to arm themselves beyond that which is natural. Scared somebody's going to break in on their house. This spirit of fear that keeps us from going places because we're scared to get out in public. I want you to know you can overcome this spirit of fear. But you've got to do it spiritually. So let me give you some tactics that you must use. Number one, if you're going to overcome the spirit of fear, you must be an expert at using your spiritual weapons. This is not about guns and knives. This is not about the firing range. This is not about martial arts. This is not about manning up. This is about being an expert at spiritual warfare. 
Look what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not natural. They're not what we think of as weapons. But they are mighty. They're mighty in God through the pulling down of strongholds. So if you're going to win this spirit of fear battle that tries to come upon you when you're scared to send your children out, and you're scared to go places, if you're going to win that battle, you've got to be an expert at spiritual warfare. You say, well, what are my weapons? Well, let me give them to you. They're real simple. Number one, the first weapon you have is the Word of God. The Word of God. You say, my Bible? You better believe Well, what am I supposed to do? Throw it at somebody? Yes, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. When the spirit of fear comes upon you and tries to consume your mind, you throw back the Word of God. Because the Bible tells us, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the Word of God is living and what? Powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. See, we're not talking about a frightening noise. We're talking about this underlying spirit that harasses you and wakes you up in the middle of the night wondering, should I go tomorrow? Should I get out there tomorrow? Don't leave this house. Don't go there. Don't do that. Why? Because the spirit of fear has got you prisoner to your own fear. It's got you a prisoner to fear. And the Bible says if you're going to win that battle, you can't win it by natural means. You've got to use your spiritual weapons, and it's the Word of God. And the Word of God says, For God has not given me a spirit of fear, but power, love, and sound mind. Well, how do I use my, my weapon? Well, you've got to... Listen... The, these weapons that I'm getting ready to tell you about, they are, they are weapons, but you've got to be able to use them. You, they, are, they are ammunition. Supposed, you've got to be able to launch They're missiles of God, and you've got to be able to launch them. You know, I, I've got ammo at my house. I've got a whole tub full of ammo. But if somebody tries to break in, I can't say, hey, 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 I got this ammo, and I throw the tub at them. I've got to have my ammo in my gun, and i got to know how to fire the gun. Likewise, when the spirit of fear comes upon us, we have some weapons, but just saying, well, i got a Bible on the coffee table, that doesn't do any good. You've got to be able to launch that ammunition. And the way you launch it is through your confession. It's through your worship. It's through your actions. It's through your praise. This morning when we was praising the Lord, I know some of you didn't feel like praising the Lord. Some of you had a rough week. Your body didn't feel good. But when we come in here to worship the Lord, we're not just singing songs to make the praise team feel wonderful. We're in a position to launch our spiritual weapons into the midst of our enemy, our confession. So when fear tries to come upon me, it tried to come on me this week. It tried to come on me this week. And I had to remind fear, God's not given me a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Our first weapon is the Word of God. What's the second weapon? The second weapon you and I have is the name of Jesus. We're talking about spiritual weapons here. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those underneath the earth. You've got the name of Jesus. Every day you've got the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. You can use that name. And as it's a weapon that will repel the spirit of fear. Amanda and I, over the years, have had that when fear would try to get on us, we'd have to go through our house and say, in the name of Jesus, you spirit of fear, you get out of our house. In the name of Jesus, you get off our children. You have a mighty weapon. The Word of God and the name of Jesus. And here's one you don't hear much about any day, but it's the, third, it's the blood of Jesus. You have the blood of Jesus. It's a weapon. The blood of Jesus. Remember the, the juice we drink in the communion? Remember the juice? It represents the blood. Is it just a sim, symbol of some historic event? No. What is the purpose of the juice? What is the significance of the blood? The blood of Jesus is a weapon. It's a spiritual weapon. Let me prove it to you. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. The final book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 12, verse number 10, says this. uh, John says this, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, that's Satan, who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Where was he cast down? He was cast down to earth. Notice what the, the... They called him. Look what the Bible calls him the accuser. The accuser. The accuser. Listen, any time that thought sitting in your on your shoulder accusing you of your past, accusing you of your failures, accusing you of your weaknesses, that's not God. That's not the Holy Spirit. He's not the accuser. He's the convictor and the comforter. The accuser is Satan. He Where was he cast down? He was cast down from heaven to earth. So he on earth now is doing the accusing. He's the one accusing you. Notice the Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. And notice what it says, verse 11. They overcame him. How do you overcome accusation? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Years ago, a term we often used in the Holy Spirit-filled believers' homes. I was growing up, we used a term like this all the time. And this was the term, pleading the blood. Anybody ever remember pleading the blood? We're pleading the blood. We're pleading to the... You would, I would hear my parents and grandparents say, we're pleading the blood over our family. You'd hear them pray, I'm pleading the blood over my family. What does that mean, pleading the blood? What does that mean? Well, pleading the blood is not begging God to do something. It is not a statement of unbelief or fear. Pleading the blood activates what happened through Jesus' blood on the cross. It is asking God to provide what Jesus has already purchased. It is a statement of faith about what happened at Calvary. You see, the reason, the reason the blood of Jesus is so powerful is because it paid the price for our release. Satan no longer has legal hold of the child of God. We have been redeemed and purchased back by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is not historical symbolism, but it's the invaluable currency that paid the price for our lives for an eternity. 
And when you and I plead the blood, we're just activating by faith that powerful blood of Jesus that totally eradicated our past and released us from Satan's domain. And when we say, I speak and I plead the blood over my family and over my children, what we're saying is, Satan, you have no right over me, not because of my money, not because of my name, not because of my wealth, not because of my education, but because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I am forever eradicated and eliminated from your domain. We plead the blood. Listen to what Paul said to the church in Acts. He said, keep watch over yourselves and over the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. Be shepherds of the church of God. He's talking to pastors, which Jesus bought with his own blood. So to conquer the spirit of fear, we must be experts at using our spiritual weapons, which is the Word of God, speaking it every day, praying it every day, confessing it every day. You start sensing fear come upon you and anxiety rising up within you. You say, no, 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 God's not giving me a spirit of fear. I'll not have this. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke this spirit. I rebuke this anxiety. I rebuke this nervousness. I plead the blood of Christ over my life. And, and, and you launch your weapons every day. To conquer the spirit of fear, we must be experts at using our spiritual weapons. And I'll just touch on this. The second thing is we must have a thorough knowledge of the battlefield. You got to have a... Th- it, it, it don't do no good if the battlefield's over here and you're over here in this field. It don't do, you're not going to win that battle if you're not in the right battlefield. Look back at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. And then verse 5, he tells us where the battlefield is. Casting down arguments and every high thing that it exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The primary place fear will attack is in your thought life. The primary place fear will attack you is in your thought life. Once fear finds a home in our thoughts, it will bring about adverse effects in our body. Have you ever known people that have a nerve, a nerve and anxiety starts affecting them physically? Once fear can find a place in your thoughts, it will bring about adverse effects in your body. But God's not giving you a spirit of fear. So understand this right here. Understand these simple principles that I've learned over the years when I was bound by fear. Number one, my quality of life is determined by the thoughts I entertain. My quality of life is determined by the thoughts I entertain. My quality of life is not determined by the size of my house. I know people who live in huts that are full of the joy of the Lord. And I know people who live in stately mansions that they would give everything they have. I had a man that had his own airport and his own jet planes. He sat in my office. He said, I'll trade it all away, preacher, if I could have one night of peace. Multi-millionaire. And he said, I'll trade it all away if I could have one night of peace. My quality of life is determined by the thoughts I entertain. 
You say, well, give me scripture for that. Okay. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 6. Notice what it says. The mind, the mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. You see these little, I call them the mothers of Israel, who are just barely surviving on social security, and you go to see them at their house and visit them, you leave feeling like a million dollars because their minds is not, their quality of life is not determined by their cars and their driveways or any of that. It's determined by the Spirit of God that lives in them and their thought life. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. You, must, you and I must understand that our quality of life is determined by our thought life. So when fear comes, the first place it's coming, it's coming to your thoughts. It's coming to attack you right up here. That's the battleground. You've got to know where the battleground is. It's right up here. It's not in our cities. It's not on our highways. It's not in our schools. It's right up here. It's right up here. That's where the battleground is. The second thing is this. You've got to realize this. You are the guardian of your thought life. You are the guardian. Your, your, the quality of your life is determined by your thoughts. But then it, when it comes down to it, you have to guard your thoughts. It's not the government's fault. It's not the Democrats' fault. It's not the Republicans' fault. It's not China's fault. It's not the doctor's fault. You've got to guard your thought life. You've got to guard your thought life. Look what it says in Isaiah 26, verse 3. He will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. See, we have to guard our thought life. At any time, I can get over into the spirit of fear if I allow my mind to go over there. I have to guard my thought life. And then number three, because my time's up. Number three, this is something that I wished I'd have known 30 years ago. And because I didn't know it, I lived a prisoner in my house for a year bound by paranoia. And that's this. You don't have to take ownership of every thought that enters into your mind. You don't have... Just because a thought of fear comes doesn't mean you have to grab it and take ownership of it. You, as a child of God, been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, been set apart with the name of Jesus, and have the Word of God living and dwelling on inside of you, just because a rogue thought comes, you're going to get this infection, you're going to die, you're going, you need to be fearful of this, somebody's going to attack you. Just because that thought comes doesn't mean you have to grab it, take hold of it, and let it set up residence in your life. You've got authority, you are the guardian and you say, nope, you're not getting in my mind. You're not going, we're not going there. I control my thoughts. I control my mind. I have, according to the word of God, the mind of Christ, not the mind of the devil. So I refuse to allow rogue, fearful, tormenting thoughts to set up home and residence in my mind. Satan doesn't have the authority or power to control your mind. Did you hear me? He can't read your mind. 
He can't read your mind. Well, people think, well, they, people really think the devil is some sovereign entity that knows what you're thinking and he can read your mind. Nothing could be further from the truth. He does not have the authority or power to control your mind. He is not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. He's not eternal. He's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. He doesn't have that authority. But what he does, he stands outside the door of your mind looking for an opportunity to introduce his thoughts into your life. The door to your mind or my mind is open through our negligence, through temptation or ignorance. He cannot control your mind. He cannot read your mind. But He watches you and He watches me and He'll throw a fearful thought. He'll throw a jab. He'll throw a rogue thought. He'll throw an accusation thought. And then He sits back and watches. And if you react like He's got you or if you start speaking out those thoughts, well, I'm scared to death. I'm scared. Then He knows exactly He's got you. That's how He reads you. It's not that he can read what you're thinking. He knows what he put in you, the thought he put in you, and then through your actions and reactions, he knows if you accepted that thought and let it become yours or whether you repel it. That's how he works. That's how he works. So don't leave here this morning thinking, well, the devil knows what I'm thinking. He don't know what you're thinking. Only way he knows what you're thinking is how you act. He'll throw those thoughts all day. Don't go over there. Don't, go, don't leave your house. Oh, you're going to get infected. You're going to get infected. Some of you washing your hands 200 times a day when 150 will do. <laughs> Just cut back on the other 50. Say, well, you better wash your hand. Better wash your hand. Better wash your hand. Better wash your hand. Have you ever noticed those people? I, I had to deal with that. And I have family members. They, they go back to check and see if the door was locked. They go back to check and see if the door is locked. They go back to check and see if see, the devil keeps telling them the door's not locked. 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 I, it came upon me. I, I, never, I haven't had to deal with that much. I have a family member that deals with it all the time. But it came upon me several weeks ago at 4 o'clock in the morning. The, the uh, Annie, our little Sheltie, uh, had to go out. Four o'clock. She always wakes up between three thirty and four. She's on the schedule. And Amanda, I just I scoot Annie over to, toward Amanda. Maybe Amanda will wake up. And only, only thing Amanda does, so I so I have to take her out. I took her out, and I brought her back in. Took about five minutes to take her out, and I brought her back in. And I laid down in the bed, and the thought hit me: You didn't lock the back door. So I got up. You know what? The back door is locked. And I started to walk away, and the thought hit me. You didn't lock the back door. I turned around, and I thought, where did that come from? And then I got almost back to the bedroom, and the thought hit me. You need to go check that back door. I said, what in the name of Sam Hill is going on? And I went back and checked it again, and I started to walk away, and the thought hit me. You better check it one more time. Anybody ever been there? You know what I did? I unlocked it. I unlocked it. Unlocked the dead boat, unlocked the door, and I said, let them come. And I went and got in bed, snuggled up to Andy because Amanda was over on the side. See, the spirit of fear, it's going to attack your thought life. And you don't have to take ownership of every thought. You are the guardian of your thought life. 
And your quality of life is determined by what you allow your mind to think about. And God has not given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Stand with me, would you? Thank God for His Word. I, uh, I, uh, I know I get passionate when I talk about this because I lived in this for a year. I lived a prisoner to my home. I, I lived scared to go out of my house. I lived paralyzed, tormented for one solid year. Couldn't sleep. Couldn't remember. Couldn't concentrate. Felt like a band was around my head. Couldn't see. My eyes became dim. Until some of these truths I begin to learn, I put into practice. You don't have to live a prisoner to fear. Even in the middle of COVID, you don't have to live that way. But you've got to use your weapons. And you have some weapons. Now use them in Jesus' name. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, Amanda and I and, and Pastor Bryce will be up here and some other people. We'll be up here at the front to pray with you. Last Sunday, I think it was after second service, might have been after first service, a young man came up to me. One of our students brought a young man up to me, and uh, he was from another country, South America, I believe it was, and he came up to me, and the student who was a part of our youth ministry said he would like to talk to you. I said, okay, I'd love to talk to him. And he began to tell me that he was raised Catholic, being in South America, and you can understand that. He was raised Catholic, and, uh, and because of the things he saw in the Catholic Church, he'd turned atheist. He didn't believe in God. And about five years ago, he, his family moved here to the United States, and he started getting around friends who were Christians. And he started seeing their life, and he saw our students, one of our students' life, And he says, now I've come to believe that Jesus is alive and he is Lord. And I said, would you like to accept him as your Lord and Savior? He said, yes, I want to do that. So right here, right here, standing right here, when everybody else was fellowshipping and having a good time, we prayed a simple prayer with him. And as soon as he said amen, he did this. I said, what's wrong? He says, I feel like a weight has been lifted off of me. I said, you've been saved. You've been born again. Born again. So if you're here today, if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ and you've come to the end of yourself and you're ready to turn your life over to the Lord, just come up to us right after service. We'd love to pray with you. We're getting ready to clean the sanctuary, so we'll ask you just, if you want a fellowship, go out in the hallways. And don't forget us as you exit, the the buckets are at the door. Let me pray a prayer blessing over you. Father, thank you for these precious people. Thank you now that no evil shall befall them this week and no plague can come nigh them. No virus, no terror, nor terrorists can come close to these people because they are under the covering of the Lord. They're sheltered in God. And I speak life, I speak health, I speak peace over them. 
I thank you that their children are protected, their grandchildren are protected. I thank you that their possessions are protected, their jobs are secure, and their resources are blessed. I speak that over them in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless. Have a wonderful week. We love you.